This is Looking Closer. I'm Jeffrey Overstreet. Yesterday, Wolf Walkers, the latest animated feature from the Irish animation studio Cartoon Saloon, won Best Film at the Irish Film and Television Awards. And I suppose that shouldn't really surprise us. Uh, Wolf Walkers had a nomination for uh, this year's Academy Awards in the Best Animated Feature category. And it just continues Cartoon Saloon's remarkable run of excellent, enthralling, imaginative animated movies. I am a huge fan of The Secret of Kells and frequently use that film in my classes. Uh, I connected with that film very quickly early on, and that should have been predictable too, I guess, because it tracks a kind of story that has always seemed deeply personal to me. A story of someone who grows up in a small community, in a sort of sheltered community, in a community that has withdrawn from the world in some ways and views the world outside with a lot of suspicion and concern and even fear. And in all of those stories, a protagonist grows in curiosity and confidence and a sense of calling that the purposeful life for that character is out there somewhere, engaging in the larger drama of good versus evil. And in waking up to the fact that you may try and wall yourself in in order to protect yourself from the evils of the world, but if you do that, you are trapping yourself inside with the evils that are inside you, and they are no different than the evils that are out there. In The Secret of Kells, we see young Brendan cautioned, no, really commanded by his uncle, the abbot, to stay inside the Abbey of Kells because the Vikings, or as they call them, the Northmen, are out there. And they're coming with swords and deadly intent in order to rob the Abbey of whatever gold might be there. But the real gold in this movie is waiting in the woods outside. That's where Brendan must go in order to find secret ingredients in order to make beautiful inks for illuminated manuscripts. He also finds the treasure of a friendship in the woods with the fairy named Ashlyn, and together they must fight a genuine threat, Krom Kruik, an ancient pagan spirit. The film becomes a remarkable story overlapping the worlds of Christianity and pagan mythology in ways that I think would have delighted C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. When I was a child, I was enamored of movies like The Muppet Movie, where Kermit the Frog has to leave his small, comfortable home in the swamp in order to pursue his calling and engage the world in, in the hopes of making millions of people happy. And he encounters all kinds of dangers and opportunities for compromise and the threat of exploitation along the way. Star Wars, of course, tracks Luke Skywalker as he leaves his small circle of ignorance and fear and enters the world beyond Tatooine and finds his purposes there. I think of the story of The Hobbit, which was one of the first stories I cared about passionately as a kid, and how Bilbo Baggins has to be convinced, practically dragged out of his comfortable little home in order to engage with the larger world and grow in courage and confidence and faith. My favorite novel is Richard Adams' Watership Down, which follows rabbits as they leave their home 
advised by a sort of poet-prophet, someone who has seen a vision of the trouble that is coming and knows that if they are to make a meaningful life, one that will last, one that will uh, have a significant influence in the future, they need to find a place where they will thrive and flourish. And, and that place is not free from danger. It means they have to cross a great deal of territory through a lot of trials and tribulations in order to find the place they are meant to be, where they can be what rabbits are supposed to be. All of these stories follow a familiar circuit. The Secret of Kells is one of those narratives in which I find myself, in which I recognize my own life, the temptations to remain comfortable, the calling to venture out into trouble, and the promise that my most meaningful life will be established in a place fraught with danger, but in which I find I have been particularly prepared for and designed for the challenges of that place in order to flourish, in order to make a meaningful difference in the world. So I am very grateful for this film. I am grateful for Song of the Sea, which takes us on a meaningful journey through grieving into a world of imagination and dreaming and hope. I am grateful for those two films. The Secret of Kells was directed by Tom Moore and Nora Tuomi together. And then Tom Moore would direct Song of the Sea and Nora Tuomi would direct The Breadwinner, another story, this time of a young girl who has to leave her uh, very frightened family, her very insecure world, and venture out into serious danger, taking great risks and uh, putting on disguises in order to try to save her family, in order to bring back what has been lost. That's a story set in the real world in Afghanistan, but again, following that very familiar track. And now we have Wolfwalkers, which once again presents us with a walled city and with a wilderness surrounding it and with dangers in the woods and dangers within the walls. And Robin Goodfellow is only going to find her true purpose in life if she finds the courage to venture out into that world of wolves and discover the truth that has been kept from her. It's been a long time that I've been hoping to meet and talk with the animators at Cartoon Saloon, the storytellers that are doing such wonderful work. Several months ago, Dr. Lindsay Marshall and I had a conversation about Wolf Walkers, and that was an episode of this podcast, and that podcast came to the attention of the good people at Cartoon Saloon. Because of that, an opportunity, actually more than one opportunity, has come up for us to have those conversations I kept hoping we might have. I was able to welcome Tom Moore via Zoom to my faith and film class at Seattle Pacific University, and, and that was a thrill. And now, Dr. Marshall and I have had the privilege of talking with Tom Moore and Nora Tuomi about The Secret of Kells and the movies they have made since then, including Wolfwalkers, and about what they're doing next. Dr. Lindsay Marshall is the Chancellor's Postdoctoral Research Fellow in American Indian Studies at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Her research focuses on native history, public memory construction through history education, and environmental history. In other words, she challenges us to consider the narratives we've been given and see if they really align with 
the historical record so that we can understand what is worth celebrating about our culture, but also what is worth lamenting, uh, what kind of reconciliation needs to happen. So I was thrilled that Dr. Marshall was able to come back for this podcast episode as well. And now, without further ado, I am going to share with you the delightful privilege of this conversation with the Cartoon Saloon geniuses, Tom Moore and Nora Twomey. I want to welcome three very special guests today. Uh, Dr. Lindsay Marshall is, uh, first of all, a friend of mine going back several years. Uh, I, I was reading some very, very interesting things she wrote about some, some novels that I wrote, uh, the, the Aurelia thread, Aurelia's Colors and the sequels. And I thought, wow, she actually gets what's going on in these stories, at least from, from my vantage point. And that started a conversation which quickly grew into a conversation about movies and storytelling. And so our, our friendship has, has flourished there. And her love of horses has given her a strong connection to my wife, Anne, uh, and they have a lot to talk about as well. Uh, we have fanboyed and fangirled out over the films of Cartoon Saloon. So we, we keep having to check and make sure this is really happening because we also have with us today, Tom Moore and Nora Twomey, who collaborated on The Secret of Kells. Um, and actually, I guess we would see both of their names on just about anything they've worked on uh, because I saw Tom Moore's name in the film that, that Nora Twomey directed, um, uh, The Breadwinner. We can also talk about the film Song of the Sea um, and the new film Wolfwalkers. They have given us uh, some of the most joyful and challenging and inspiring work at the movies. And in my work as a storyteller, as a teacher, as a film critic, um, I couldn't ask for, for better uh, inspiration. So what a joy to, to see you both, meet, meet with you both today. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. And also thanks for your support over the years for our projects. We really appreciate it. It's lovely to get chatting to you again so soon. Well, it's, it's always heartening to um, say something about an artist's work and then find out that the artist is willing to, to engage in dialogue. Uh, that rarely happens. But I was sort of retracing some of that history this morning. And uh, I couldn't help but laugh when a friend of mine on Twitter asked me if the breadwinner was appropriate for children, and Nora answered. <laughs> I don't know if she remembers this. Um, yeah, a friend of mine asked, uh, would, you, would you recommend the movie for children? And before I could answer, uh, she jumped in and said, oh, from about 10 or 11 upwards, <laughs> parents' discretion. And I was like... She, she's real. <laughs> I, I, I wonder about that sometimes as well, I have to say, because I'm very online and I have been since blogs. I started blogging before social media like Twitter. And it was great for Secret of Kells because it was a kind of a connection to an audience that we didn't uh, we didn't have any other way to connect with back then. We had no marketing budget or whatever. But over the years, I wondered sometimes if I could only restrain myself, if I wasn't so addicted, sometimes I wonder would it be better to have a certain mystique and not engage in Twitter and not. <laughs> but I certainly don't do that. I'm on all the time. So it's interesting. Yeah. Or you can take that to extremes and become Terrence Malick and not even yeah. go up to the awards shows. And things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's cooler. Somehow I think it's cooler. But anyway, I'm just excited anybody's <laughs> looking at our stuff or thinking about our stuff. So I'm always happy to see something going on online that people are noticing our work. 
I met Andrew Rosen the same way. I, I wrote a piece about the young people carrying guns in the breadwinner in the middle of, uh, you know, one of the rises in conversation about gun control in America. And so I wrote about the, the, the young gun-toting extremist and uh, he jumped in and we had a wonderful conversation. So that's just given me a sense that the folks at Cartoon Saloon are unusual and I don't like the word accessible, but um, yeah, pretty accessible, but, but very uh, open <laughs> to conversation, which makes them seem more human to me. So thank you. Thank you for that. Can you can you talk a little bit about the history of Cartoon Saloon, uh, where your collaborations started and this very unique network of storytellers that always seem uh, to be working together, but sharing or, or giving up the spotlight to one another uh, turn by turn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, we met in college. Um, I went back to education a little older. Uh, I was 22, 23 when I went back into education. And I met um, Tom and Paul Young and a lot of people that we work with to this day, like Fabian Erlinghauser, um, Jeremy Purcell, uh, a number of um, people just as, as fellow students. But Tom and uh, uh, Aidan Hart, actually, uh, 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 another very interesting um, artist, had an idea about uh, the Book of Kells, this um, you know, amazing historical book uh, that is uh, now housed in Trinity College in, in Dublin and creating um, a story around its creation because there's not a huge amount known about uh, the, the creation of, of that book um, uh, in the ninth century. But just... Um, it just the idea of uh, creating something like that, but also just the just the, the 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 conversations that went on, the sketching that went on, the joy in just um, discovering and 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 drawing uh, together. I think that's something that very much kind of drew me to Tom and Paul and and that group of um, young artists, uh, and that was kind of the beginning of it. It started in college. Tom and Paul kind of formalized a, a relationship through, uh, you know, the, the formation of a company, Cartoon Saloon. Um, and then, yeah, over the years, yeah, we've just kind of continued that. But that's the buzz at the heart of it, I think. And, uh, and that continues to be. And I think the further we ever find ourselves kind of straying from that, it's a big warning to us to come back to it again, because that's the kind of um, uh, discovery that, that, that kind of keeps the heart of it alive. Yeah, I think there was a an art school collaboration that we wanted to keep going. And for me, I'd been a member of a group called Young Irish Filmmakers here in Kilkenny. And they offered us a space when we didn't, we couldn't have afforded to rent a space. But I think the fact that they gave us a space for the first couple of years that we could get started in, it gave us a, a space to work together and made us kind of coalesce as a group after college. And the group of us that went to Ballyferm together and came down to make the trailer for what would be Secret of Kells back in 2000 or 2001, a, a huge portion of that group are still working together today in the studio. And the others have all had exciting and interesting artistic careers as well. Yeah, I think that we, um, I certainly haven't come back into education a little bit later, wanted to make sure that what I did kind of counted and that the hours that I spent working on something were for a good reason um, and I've I, you know kind of realizing because I, I wouldn't necessarily have uh, even known what a, a career in animation was not in, um, uh, and wouldn't have really aspired to it uh, early on um, realizing how much time and effort goes into animation it made me really think that uh, you know we had to be you know really careful 
with our time uh, and make sure that it, it counted uh, and that if we were making mistakes and bumbling through things or discovering things or um, that it was it, it was with a with a good intention and, and that it wasn't you know for something that you could get in another studio you know um, and I think that's again something that we, we that has kind of bound us together as the through line. It's mad to think, Nora, that you considered yourself an older student going back at 22. And I, I found myself today looking at art academies in Barcelona and Italy and stuff going, do I want to just go and do life drawing for a while? And I was 44. Is it too late to do this? <laughs> I'm hoping it's not too late. I think I'll be a perpetual art student. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd birthed since I was 16. So it was, it didn't feel like a, a whole career. Kind of right, a, right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did seem a bit more mature than the rest of us. You were fairly studious. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it. Well, you see, I'd worked in, you know, I'd worked in factories and I'd worked in different things, but I just felt that uh, I just appreciated it so much. I remember I used to go home from college with a smile from ear to ear, just with, just, I felt like I found my people or something, or I found my, you know, uh, vocation, or I found I found a way to alight in a way for sure. You know, that was just, um, I, uh, Having, you know, looked at conveyor belts with uh, vegetables flying by, this was just an oasis of, of, uh, of wonder for, for someone like me. No, I do remember. I still feel, I, I realised the other day, I found this online course, the new Masters Academy, and I signed up for it. And I discovered myself waking up on a Saturday with that same excitement I used to have when I first went to animation school of like, oh, I'm going to spend a day drawing, which is really strange because it's not like work. It's not like my mother goes, are you not tired working? And I'm like, oh, no, this is different. So I think that's been the heart of what's kept us going a long time. Yeah. Nora. I went back for my graduate work. I, I was a high school teacher for like 11 years and then decided I wanted to be a student again. And I had a very similar experience. Like all my, my cohort had gone through like the undergraduate MA and they started the PhDs. They were already tired coming in. And I was just like dancing to the library because <laughs> it was so much fun. It's true. It's true. It, it gives you a whole different perspective and, and a massive appreciation. Um, so I know that they say that you get, you know, it's harder to learn as you get older, but at the same time, you appreciate it so much more. Um, yeah. I think that that's going to interest uh, a lot of the folks who are listening to this because a lot of them are students. A lot of them are look, wanting to get into animation or storytelling. A lot of them are visual design students. Um, you know, and there's the, the Malcolm Gladwell uh, term about the 10,000 hours, right, that are necessary to, be, uh, to become great at something or, or even good at something. Um, a good friend of mine, Ken Preby, who is an animator and who has written two, two of the only textbooks around about stop animation. Um, he's made it very clear to me what's involved, the patience involved in animation. Do you have any counsel or recommendations for young people who are uh, pursuing um, careers if they're, if they're so audacious, so, so confident, or at least a life as writers or animators, um, what you have learned, because I mean, still the, the resources uh, available to you for Wolfwalkers, I suspect are probably a little different than oh. what you had when you began The Secret of Kells. Very uh, different. So how do you encourage them at this stage now when it seems like the people who get to do what they wanna do are way up there? What can they be doing now uh, to strengthen uh, the, the likelihood that they will get to make a life of this. Um, I think the first thing, can you hear me okay? 
Yes. Is, is this okay? Yeah. Um, the first thing I will always say is that the emotional intelligence was the bit that we weren't taught like officially in college and the thing that you don't hear about because a lot of this creative life is even if it's quite solitary if you're a writer you still have to collaborate and work with directors and work with publishers and editors or whatever it might be and certainly in animation it's a lot about collaboration about a lot about working in a team and I feel like that's a huge part of what our job is in the studio so kind of finding a, a tribe or a little wolf pack to surround yourself with um, as you're studying and training and kind of some cohorts or friends that you can do something more than you would do all on your own, or at least people that you can bounce ideas off and build that trust with. That's so important, I think, because that stood me in great stead, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I work uh, with people who uh, like to pitch ideas and like to kind of, um, uh, you know, f- form stories and then and then bring them to, uh, as Tom was saying, it appears to just kind of pitch uh, the idea and to just ask for a constructive criticism uh, and it's amazing seeing again if you commit to it it's very vulnerable I mean like writing or drawing or uh, making um, uh, making stories in any shape or, or, or form is a very vulnerable thing to do uh, you have to expose part of yourself in order to actually say anything that's uh, 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 really uh, worthwhile but then that can be really difficult. It can be really difficult to take criticism or it can be really difficult to even take, um, you know, uh, just help, you know. Uh, but uh, the, the people that I admire the most are the people who can uh, and do that um, and uh, and let their ideas become stronger because of uh, the input. Um, directing a, is oftentimes about uh, understanding uh, how, what other people can bring to your your film and your your idea, and being able to uh, encourage the creativity of others and to funnel it through like a, a one sensibility, but but being open to it. It's not really about being an auteur or having a, like a a fantastic idea and just making other people do it. It is really a very collaborative, and because it's such a time consuming uh, medium, it. Uh, it, it, yeah you do need you, you do need a, a great team but you need to be able to identify that great team and you need to be able to in, encourage them in a very uh, positive um, way as well and uh, uh, drawing anything that gets you to listen I mean if you're a writer listening is a great thing uh, if you're if you want to be an animator you know watching and drawing is is fantastic and it, it, they all feed into each other I mean the other thing is knowing a little bit about everything you know there's such amazing tools out there even just on you know uh, YouTube now you can you can find out a little bit about everything and that gives you an appreciation for it. you don't need to be good at everything but having an appreciation for what other people do uh, on, a, on an animation team uh, uh, certainly looking through credits um, you know on, on, on films and, and kind of figuring out what the different roles are they're all kind of interesting approaches because everyone wants to design or direct, but there are so many roles within animation um, that are incredibly creative. Um, and we've all, as, as, as I think as you said in the introduction, we've all kind of done them. Uh, you, you can see my name in some of Tom's films and vice versa, um, that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what collaboration is. Reading about the studio itself, uh, I, I came across the term monastic as describing uh, the character of the place, which seems appropriate given uh, the the movie that sort of uh, started things for you. Um, that made me think about that wonderful uh, Lars von Trier documentary, The Five Obstructions, which is a, a movie length demonstration of the fact that creativity is sparked by limitation. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder if that has been instrumental in uh, the distinctiveness of Cartoon Saloon productions. Um, the, the limitations that you found as you developed these stories, the things you had to push back against, um, has that been a generator of creativity uh, for you? And is that, is that something that maybe easily discouraged creatives should, should learn to welcome? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, certainly. I definitely think we're having to work within our means and cut the cloth. I remember Nora and I, you know, having to think on Secret Accounts, what could we do for the budget and time and stuff that we had and how could we make something look good for what we had rather than trying to, you know, pretend we were Pixar, which we were always going to look like a poor relation, you know. So I definitely think a lot of our style was kind of trying to find a beautiful solution to, um, you know, external problems, whether it was time or budget or, or whatever. Yeah, budget was a big one, and, and it did kind of put a, a, um, a, a you know a, a box around what we, we could uh, aim for a, in a very interesting way because it did make us use two D in ways I suppose that we hadn't uh, you know we hadn't been trained for. Let's say you know we, we were trained in college to kind of you know fit be part of a, like a, a much larger machine, uh, which kind of didn't exist by the time we graduated. You know um, the. Um, uh, Bluth Studios had been in Ireland and that's, you know, we had trained in, in a college that would have fed that studio. And so we had to kind of make our own way and find our own work uh, afterwards. And I think that was, uh, that was uh, something that, that, uh, that, that uh, very much defined us. But even the way that we, um, we finance our films, uh, you know, finding the partners that are of a similar size to us um, and um, working with those, uh, those partners mean that you don't, you're not getting a lot of money from one source, which then has a lot of power over what you do or um, or might get scared about like, you know, the tone of what you're trying to achieve or, or anything like that. It actually gives you a huge amount of uh, freedom if you do accept those kind of limitations and you can push further just by being, you know, small and uh, and you can find the, the, the beauty in, in, in that size um, so that we were able to then experiment with our storytelling and our tone and, uh, you know, uh, and the visual, certainly, I, I think Tom, um, you know, has pushed the visuals quite a bit uh, in the studio over the over the years and has been able to experiment because we were that size um, and because we, we, we sought out partners but that were a similar size. Dr. Marshall, do you want to share what it was about the secret of Kells that so <laughs> captured your uh, attention? Want to show uh, it up? How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I just I adore this film and I have a small child, so I've uh, had the excuse to see it many times. <laughs> and so that's been great, which I would have done anyway. Um, what, what so captivates me about, about that film in particular and, and just kind of the, the interest that I have as a researcher, as a historian, is um, so often I run into narratives that insist on one way of understanding things. Um, so either we have here in the States, you know, the settler colonial narrative of westward expansion, which involves brave pioneers, um, exciting battles and, you know, progress with a capital P. Um, and it's often countered with the narrative of seeing westward expansion as an invasion, which it absolutely was. Um, but that narrative also fails to account for the complexity of the human experience and often cast native nations as victims of colonialism as opposed to um, you know, in the fullness of their experience and, and identity. And, and it often leaves them in 1890, a wounded knee, uh, right? So 
what I loved about Secret of Kells, because it's, it's not at all an analogous historical situation, but you have the clash of this kind of other culture coming into a space where there already was a culture. And then this third culture is threatening both of these cultures. <laughs> and um, it, it was such a beautiful um, meditation on the nature of fear. Um, and what I appreciate about it so much is that, you know, the abbot has fear, brother Aiden has fear, both of their fears are valid and both of their fear, both of their kind of paths that they decide to take because of the fear make logical sense. Um, but then Brendan and Ashling offer us this third option of how to navigate that fear without saying the fear is foolish or that taking measures in response to that fear is a bad idea, but also to just ask what if we reach into the thing that scares us <laughs> and, and see what happens if we try to make relationship um, across this boundary. And I just, I love that so much. And it's something that I don't see in filmmaking very often. We wandered into some stuff that I think was instinctive and it's only looking back on it that I realized that a lot of the stuff we were drawing on was so archetypal and that mm -hmm. idea of facing your fears and the way Brendan faces Crom and everything like that. It's very shamanic and it's very, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really ancient, a, a kind of wisdom. Um, that's in it and uh, a lot of the stuff at Secret Accounts because it was the first movie I mean I think some I don't know if you agree or but I think some of it was almost instinctual like we were kind of learning everything as we went we were telling a story that was a bit self-reflective as ourselves who we were afraid to take on this huge thing that we were trying to take on as artists and um, I don't know yeah I mean I definitely ref uh, Brendan's sort of reluctance to pick up the pen and to take on the take on the mantle of what he's being asked to do. I think a lot of artists can relate to that as well. And then all that bigger, that backdrop of all the bigger stuff, that was all fascinating. But I think a big thing that Nora and I tried to do was um, the first drafts hadn't really had been too lost in that. It happened again with Wolfwalkers that we got too lost in that backstory, that backdrop. I think it was better to let it fall back and focus on Brendan and Ashling, and Brendan and Aiden and, and that story, you know, the characters. Yeah, and I think tone was something that we were exploring quite a bit with the secret of cows and trying to be brave with and not, um, you know, ending up with it with a hero who got everything that he wanted, you know, plus everything that he needed, like in the in the in the, the third actor in the resolution of the film, but instead to just try and look at the idea of hope and hope through friendships and connections and nature and creativity and, um, you know, finding meaning in all of that rather than in the uh, you, you, you know, it, 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 turning a child into a superhero or something, you know, I think that's something that was kind of uh, important to us. And if I, I suppose if we go back to the the idea of just making this, the, the time that we spend uh, crafting the stories um, worth it and say something that's a little bit different and say something that, to children that's a little bit different because they know that, you know, you, you can uh, craft a, a, you know, perfect uh, three-act structure where um, you know everything resolves in the end, and especially if you have a child protagonist, but kids know that life isn't like that, and whether they know, um, you know, and they know it at every age, really, you know, and they try to explore it at every age. Um, uh, Tommy Unger, who is a, a, a was a, a, a children's book author and illustrator, who uh, did you know really really amazing work, but he always looked at. Uh, you know, they talked about not talking down to children and always, you know, treating them with respect, but also being responsible uh, around fear and, uh, you, um, you know, allowing children to feel fear in a way that uh, that they can learn 
um, and and that they, that they can learn from the stories that they're that they're they're participating in as well. Um, knowing when to hold back as well is something that I think we kind of really discovered with the secret of of Kells when to let your audience kind of come forward and not to give them everything and let them be part of it. And then seeing it was the first you know major film that we went we, we got to travel the world with and see audiences in different parts of the world respond to. Um, and seeing how the different different personalities responded to the same story in different ways and different people brought you know parts of themselves and different parts of themselves to the same story and how much it was no longer mine and Tom's we talked about you know how much you should talk about your work yeah but it, it, certainly once you finish making a film it doesn't belong to you anymore and whatever your opinion is on it it's about as valid as somebody else who watches it and what they get from it is just as valid as what you put into it. Right. I, I love that. My, my, my students uh, so often hang on to this idea that if they can just hear from the artist, then they'll know what the answer is, what the real <laughs> of God problem. Yeah. Right, right. The, the real meaning of the movie. And my, I, I think most artists would want to disabuse you of that notion. <laughs> yeah. They, they learn so much from their audience. But I think you learn stuff as well. Like as an artist, you create stuff and there is a certain amount of creating a film or drawing or anything like that, that, it's secondary that you go back and analyze everything, you know, like when you're going through, it has to feel right. And you're working on tone and your work. And there's like a, a percolation process where you do all the research and you fully absorb it. And then it has to fade into the background and you have to focus on the characters and everything. And then afterwards, people can kind of pick it apart and see the different layers, hopefully that have gone into that percolation process, but it sh you shouldn't be too, I think there's a story science thing that happens a bit where people try to be really specific and absolutely get the pipettes perfect so that it's a perfect concoction and I, I don't think you can do that I think there's a certain amount that is a little bit little bit like painting or or something that you just have to kind of make it and let other people respond and hope that they got what you meant and if they get something else that's interesting why did you get that and let that inform your next piece and you know there's a there's a dialogue that goes on when you create something as it's received afterwards you're constantly learning you know so you, Tom, you mentioned uh, the sort of archetype that you, the archetypes that you weren't re really aware you were tapping into. Um, Secret of Kells and The Breadwinner, so different in so many ways, have such remarkable commonalities. And, and Wolf Walkers now as well, you've got a sort of walled city or uh, a restricted yeah. culture. You've got someone within that culture who has to sort of disguise themselves in order to slip out, right? To get outside of where they've been penned in. Um, the role of imagination and storytelling is liberating for that character in connecting with and learning to speak the language outside of that constricted place. And then both stories end with those young heroes on the run, really. Um, on the run as the world seems to be falling apart around them. Not the typical place for uh, uh, an animated movie that families enjoy to conclude. I can't help but wonder what it is that drew you to these stories that you keep telling, that keep um, exploring that same kind of trajectory in different ways. Were there ways in which you growing up uh, needed to break out of a particular language or ritual or culture um, and found that the world outside would, would sustain that or that um, the imagination was a way out. I mean, there's so many readings of this, but they're so similar that I just, I'm just intrigued that you're telling uh, 
that story in so many different ways and seeing it in so many different parts of the world. Where is that think, coming from? I, I think I'm fascinated by the similarities you see in Breadwinner because I sort of felt that that was a big departure in a lot of ways, but it's interesting to hear the similarities. I don't know what you think about it. <laughs> That's true. I've never, yeah, I've never really looked at it uh, like that, I guess. Uh, but certainly, like, but, but um, uh, I, it, um, finding hope in children, I think, is something that absolutely, uh, you know, uh, could be a, a common thread uh, brought through uh, all of the films, I guess, or, or uh, the the, um, the the potential for transformation being in seeing things like a child. So uh, we all, I mean, I don't know, I get overwhelmed every day, but the more that I I, I can simplify down and just go from task to task, um, I, I can center myself and I can root myself and I can, um, you know, find a way forward. And so whether you are a child or not, you can think like a child and accept your circumstances uh, for what they are and try to navigate through that. Um, without trying to, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, even asking the big whys for which there are no, there there are no answers that we're ever going to get in our in our lifetimes. I think that there's there's probably um, th th there is that theme, I guess, running through uh, all of all of the work. Um, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know I was very conscious of Joseph Campbell during. Uh, Secret of Cows and the writer Fabrice Zulkowski and I talked about that and that was stuff Nora and I talked about and we talked about you know those kind of mythic archetypes we wanted it to feel a bit like a myth even though we were kind of mishmashing mythology and history and stuff you know and I think I used that um, template as a as a kind of a, a bedrock for not like not by the rules but just as a feeling um, for Song of the Sea and Wolfwalkers too. I kind of knew that that was a basic structure that instinctively felt right for those kind of stories but there's other stuff in it. People have asked like I really recognize like my own relationship with my sister in Brendan and Ashling and Ben and Saoirse and I recognize certain things that I deliberately drew on and then there's other stuff people ask me about and I'm like I don't know. It just felt right. And maybe it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tapping into some archetypes or something. I'm not sure. Well, it sure connected with me. I mean, just, just quickly, I could take over with this. I don't want to. Um, I grew up in a very, very conservative, uh, whatever that word means anymore, uh, conservative Christian uh, community that treated the world outside as something to escape, something to withdraw from. Uh, but sort of like Brendan with the book, um, what I found in the teachings of Jesus when I actually paid attention to them was a direction that constantly sent me out to engage with the world and to hear what nature, the natural world had to say, to discover what God is doing in other languages and other cultures. And so it felt to me like the core of the thing was contradictory to the culture of the thing. And yeah, so yeah. this this movie plays to me like an allegory of my own childhood in a way, and that by engaging with movies and engaging with pop culture and uh, studying history, that these that opened up the world for me, and it, it was in that collaboration, in that conversation, that what I feel is true gospel actually took root. So. Um, I'm so intrigued that you were drawn to the Book of Kells since it contains the Gospels, but you were also inspired to tell a story of how that light is something to carry out into the darkness. Um, was that an inspirational factor for you? Is that, or is that one of those things you look back on and go, 
Wow. No, no, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's obvious where it came from. And I grew up in a very like Northern Irish Catholic household, and there was a lot of that stuff. That and I and I mean, Mike Kelly, who uh, ran filmmakers, was a very sort of his his he was a very open minded guy and a very and but he was rooted in a very a Christian thought that was going against what the conservative Catholic thought would have been. And I definitely think when we started working on the Secret Accounts, we were more interested in the fact that this was a great piece of art, you know, from Ireland's history that a lot of our, you know, um, the, the different patterns and things that you see around that are associated with Celtic art all could trace their ways back to that. But the fact that it was a gospel and the fact that it was a synthesis of uh, different, um, like part of the research was learning that there was this different kind of schism in the church between what was going on in Ireland at the time and in the rest of Europe. And that was really interesting to us. And in earlier incarnations, we kind of dove into that much more. But we actually put that aside and we wanted to allow it to become a symbol of a bigger thing rather than a specific, you know, very because whenever you make it very specific, I mean, one of the producers, Didier, is um, a Jewish guy. And he was saying that we had to find the universal in the specific. And that was a big part of what we were looking at. And that's been my personal spiritual journey since whenever I mean I know at a certain point I became really deeply disillusioned with the Catholic Church and found myself looking into Taoism and Buddhism and wandering around looking for other things and I, I suppose my interest in shamanism is a continuation of, of that interest um, and that way of seeing the world that kind of pre-Christian uh, Irish way of seeing the world that got layered in with a certain Celtic Christianity was definitely something that fascinated me and Aidan in the early days of of developing it and stuff but I think as it evolved it became more about art and hope and the bigger and um, broader things than the very specific you know um, words that were written in there what they meant to people if they looked at it and couldn't read you know what could they still see some value in it you know and that's the difference between them I suppose in the Vikings you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of people that worked on that, uh, you know, it, it, whether it be on the script or the storyboard or, or or through even into animation, I think it was more the the the, um, the quest for meaning and the creation, the act of making the book and what it took the story, rather than what was the the, the book itself. I think the connections between uh, the, uh, the the people in the story uh, was was as important uh, rather than. Uh, you know, rather than the book itself, I think. Um, I think it was the art as well. The fact that it was an act of devotion and that people had spent their time, spent their lives in these really difficult times creating something that we're still not sure how they did it and all of that. That was very inspirational too, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I remember at the time, and it's been a long time since we worked on it, but I remember at the time going to the the uh, library in, in Trinity and the keeper of the book was Bernard Meehan at the time and he was very suspicious of what we were doing and um, had lots of conversations with him and he lent us like a microfiche so we see the key row page bigger and all and I remember after the first screening when we showed it to him and the musicians and everything involved um, he was like well you did your homework and I was really delighted that he could say that as someone so steeped in the book and the history and the legends and everything around the book and the beliefs around the book so I, I felt that we'd absorbed hopefully a lot of what it meant to lots of different people and try to offer it up in a universal way. So I'm glad that you responded so well to it. I have a question, if you don't mind. Um, one thing that I just absolutely adore about all three of the Irish triptych films is um, the notion that the land is alive, um, that 
that stories are are kept in the land and and so that these um beings associated right you know Sarsha's a sulky um ashling's a you know kind of this is my forest forest spirit all those things and in wolf walkers with the wolf walkers um these young characters are called into um the space where they are the specific place and called into a relationship with these you know kind of pre-christian beings that are that are still there um and i was just wondering because my experience growing up in texas in the united states is uh you know so ingrained that land is a commodity even when we talk about conservation here um we talk about land use instead of land as being and i know tom we talked earlier about um our mutual appreciation for robin wall kimmerer's writing about that um and i'm wondering you know since that is a theme that that kind of extends across those three films and it's so beautifully depicted. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your understanding of that or just how that came about, how that was the way to visually express that. That is something that I think I, I stumbled into during Secret Accounts and became more and more um, interested by True Song of the Sea and Wolfwalkers. And I think it's one of the main threads of what I'm interested by in you know indigenous cultures and I've been mean, listening to the Australian Aboriginal people have a similar uh, connection uh, to the land and how they see the earth as something alive and that has a has a truthfulness to me that whether it was Saint Bernard of Clairvaux is that who we quote a said Brother Aidan quotes when he says you learn more in the woods from trees and rocks than any other place or whether it's you know black elk or you know these guys I'm reading now they're, they're saying the same thing and just that documentary I was telling you about earlier the voices in the forest or the voices of the forest were that uh, shaman who was um Who'd, who'd gone back to his people in the Amazon and he was saying like, like the white people don't realize that there's a spirit in the ground, there's a spirit in the trees, there's a spirit in the sky. And that's why they don't think, they don't think twice about destroying it, you know? And I think that's what I think we need to wake up to. There's a part of me that feels that that wisdom, that spiritual wake up is what the world needs. It's like a spiritual awakening as well. And I think that sort of sense, it feels right to people. Like when you look in Ireland, like my dad talks about the Irish language place names have something that means something and but then when we change them to the English it's just an English word that sounds a bit like it so if you say Kilkenny it doesn't mean anything but Kilkenny means the church of Canis and every little tiny part of Kilkenny has a different name and every part of the land had a name and a story attached to it and that's the same thing you know the Apache have that's the same thing the um, Australian Aborigines have you know and that's what I'm really interested in is how we can reconnect ourselves to Robin Wall Kimmerer, become indigenous to place, you know, like even if we're not, you know, originally way, way back from here, that we have to become indigenous to place. And that was stuff that Ross and I were really interested in, in, in Wolfwalkers. That was kind of a theme that stretched back to ideas that we had in Secret Accounts and kind of came to formation in Wolfwalkers. Yeah. Still figuring out how to talk about that again in another film and be original. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it's hard because it's so easy to to over romanticize it to a point of yeah. that is insulting. Yeah, and, you and you know? know all of that, all of that stuff. Yeah, and it's you have to be so so careful. And I feel like remember me and Eddie Lennon who's an Irish storyteller, and um, I was very delicate about it and he was sort of saying well there are stories to retell and he will mix up his stories when he retells them he'll mix up St. Patrick with Finn McCool and you know he'll mix all the new and and, and it's lovely because he reinvents them and he reinvents them on the fly because it's an oral tradition mm. so it's like you kind of have an authority to do that as an Irish person with Irish stories and Irish history 
But whenever you're looking to other cultures, you have to kind of be careful that you don't, yeah, as you say, over romanticize or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's something about uh, your your attention to uh, idiosyncrasies of of human behavior, of body language, of place. Uh, Nora, in in the breadwinner, um, I'm always moved by the peeling of the apple um, as the letter is being read. Um, uh, that is so, so many movies look like they're made by people who have only ever seen other movies <laughs> and the breadwinner, um, and, uh, Wolfwalker's secret of Kells look like movies made by people who look at people who watch people who pay attention to places because everything from a hen feather floating in the air in a scene where there are hens in the breadwinner, uh, to, the detail of getting a feather uh, to use as a quill, those things uh, make us forget we're watching animation and, and believe in, in the integrity and the beauty of these individual characters and their, their roots in real places. So I, don't, I often find that I'm not treating these films so much as, oh, well, let's talk about animated films for a while but more on the level of something like Suzako's Timbuktu or something where he went to Mali and told the story of the uh, Islamic extremist occupation of an otherwise Muslim uh, city where um, everybody was arguing about how to interpret their own book. And that, because it's so devoted to specificity, like you said, it's, it's, the, it's the, the personal and the universal, right? By focusing on, in on the, the individual specific detail, you open up uh, the capacity for everyone to find themselves and their story in that place. So I, I'm so grateful for your attention to that kind of detail. Uh, can you talk about the, the loves that draw you to these projects? You talked a little bit about uh, the, your love for the, the book itself, for the design, for the artwork. Um, what is drawing you now? What, um, what, what loves are drawing you to new, to new projects? What are you paying attention to now to bring those things to life? And I realize you may have to be guarded about what, talking about what you're working on. Um, um, but I'm so interested in that connection between love and, and what translates through the imagination into a work that really comes to life. Yeah, well, from if um, for me, it's interesting you mentioned the breadwinner that particular moment, which came from uh, one of our actors was was describing their father. Um, uh, so uh, one of the the um, the actors, um, Afghan actors, was uh, describing their their grandfather and how he would always, when he was thinking, just you know, sit and and, and peel an apple, and it was the pause in the peel where you knew that, you know, uh, that, that he was, you know, thinking most deeply and what he said next was going to, you know, be something important, you know? Yeah. Um, and what's nice about, um, I, I guess, treating animation in that way that you should, I mean, watching any film, you should forget you're watching a film. Um, you know, <laughs> I was talking the other day about being careful about what colors we use at the end of something, because if you're in a cinema, um, you don't want the, the end frames to be very light because uh, your audience become aware of the people in their periphery vision uh, too soon. And you want them to just stay in the film, uh, you know, even once it's over. Um, so just, you know, all of, all of those things, um, for, you know, certainly my goal is, is not to, um, or to, to um, have people forget that they're watching a film, that if they, you know, if, if, if you can, if somebody can gasp, if you can make somebody gasp in a way that they forget that they're, they're making a sound, uh, then that's then that's that's a that's a massive um, 
that's a massive win really in terms of uh, like a, a you know trying to trying to facilitate as a storyteller for you know your audience to have a, a an emotional um, experience I am still looking to the prism of a of a child I'm uh, working on um a, a the adaptation of a, a book called My Father's Dragon by an American author with Stiles Gannett just wrote a, a, a tremendously beautiful um, exploration of children's imaginations and children that are, you know, it, it, the book was first uh, written in the, the, the late 40s. Um, and Ruth is just a, a, an amazing, amazing woman who um, has led an amazing life. And this book, which she wrote quite early, has really um, defined, uh, you know, a, you know her, her her career as a as a storyteller and her um, who she is as a as a woman. Uh, she's in her late nineties now, um, and uh, we are working hard to get our, our film finished. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, but it's, it's so that's I guess looking through the prism of a, of a child is some, still something that's very um, important to me. Just either maybe it's very as a as a parent, uh, being a mom of of, of uh, two boys, uh, two young boys, or or maybe it's just because that's always the prism that you know at the end of the day we're still all kids trying to figure out what we're doing and how we're doing it and and how not to be scared all the time doing it, I guess, or how to, how to embrace it and how to throw yourself into it rather than lock yourself away. Um, uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. And uh, Tom. Sorry, I was just going to say, you made me think of this brilliant book. There's a guy, Gareth Higgins, that I came, got in touch with. Oh, said, do you know? Yeah. He's a friend of mine. I love that guy. Oh, he's a great, I was just chatting to him recently. He's from the north of Ireland and he's about my age and we have a lot in common. And uh, we were just talking, talking about all the things, all the things that we have in common along those lines. And he was telling me, you know, it's, his husband is a pastor and they've done retreats in the Lakota uh, territory and stuff like that. So Nora said... Not to be afraid of everything of his book, you know. So, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Oh, it's great that you know, Gareth. That's so funny. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. Small world or similar interests overlap. Or we take turns uh, teaching the film seminar at the Glen Workshop, which is this arts uh, seminar hosted by Image Journal, uh, which which actually lives right here on the campus of Seattle Pacific. So Gareth has been here, um, oh, and uh, so I I'll, so I will go to his film seminar and. Uh, he and I share uh, a love for that that little green fellow you see in the back. <laughs> Kermit, yeah. Well, I've Gareth started... was writing a, a, children, a children's book, um, and he was telling me about... The, the, I've heard him... Re- ex- yeah, exploring the, the concept, again, of the post-colonial, you know, kind of um, reconciliation between the settler community and, and, and the indigenous people and stuff. But it's all... It's very interesting. I've had really interesting chats with him um, since we first, we've only ever met over Zoom. I came across him online and reached out and it was lovely. He was happy to chat and we were both mutual fans of each other. So that was nice. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, it was, lo- it was lovely. Yeah, it's a, I love that there's those connections. Yeah, for me, I don't know. I remember Nora talking about her way into the breadwinner was just food. And it made sense. It was even in the title and all those lovely kind of, they almost remind me of Takahata's work, all those little close-ups Nora did of food and hands reaching for the raise in the you know and the apple was Glenn Keane who's an amazing master animator of big bombastic movement when yeah. he when he was telling me how much he appreciated our work he said oh in the breadwinner when the guy is peeling the apple that was a really beautiful scene I was like wow that's amazing like what Nora did there so yeah that kind of specificity and and character stuff I think has been really Nora's really raised the bar again and again with every project that she's done so we definitely do feel that that's something that we're all kind of 
kind of focusing in on because that is the universal and the specific, isn't it? But it's for me, I'm trying, I'm always, when my struggle is always trying to find a way to merge the, the themes that I'm kind of interested in and bringing them down into a story or packing them into a story that's, that's right. And um, I'm just not really sure what I'm going to do next personally, but I'm having a lot of fun helping the, the other studio people, the other people in the studio uh, get their projects going and trying to be the connective tissue between all their projects before I settle on anything else. So I might just go back to art school and, and get better at drawing. <laughs> Well, I love how you pack your films with with the people you love too, from their voices to their faces to these little yeah. cameos in the background. That's that's great. Uh, you remind me of uh, Madeline Lengel, who wrote uh, *A Wrinkle in Time*. Of course, she used to say that you know, as she was heading into her sixties or seventies, she said, "I, but I am also five, and I am also <laughs> yeah. nine. Yeah, you don't move from one age to the next. Yeah. like the rings of a tree. You now are all of those things. And so anything that yeah. helps us preserve that, Nora, like you were saying, the, the lens, looking through the lens of a child uh, is, is a That came thing. to me. That came to me in a totem one time. I was in a, I had a really beautiful journey on retreat and I was having a lot of trouble being a grandfather. And how could I be a grandfather? And I saw like in a totem that I could be grandfather and, and son and, you know, <laughs> father. And I could be all those things in one sort of thing. And it doesn't mean that the thing there that you started with is gone and you're only this now and all. That's been a big journey for me as well, realizing that you don't have to. Invo- like totally turn into what your perception of a, a ma- an old person was and realize being a- older you're still yourself inside or whatever yeah it's really interesting stuff dr marshall did you have any other questions before we wrap this up oh so many uh i want to talk yeah, about settler colonialism and wolf walkers and thank you so much for giving me a film that i can show to help students think about settler colonialism here without talking about things from their hometown so that's mm. just brilliant um but I, I know that, that we're running short on time. I, I, I do have to go to my life drawing yeah. session, but I really would love to chat to you again, um, Dr. Do. Marshall, about all those things, because so at some point I'm going to find my way into this, and it's maybe <laughs> through talking to people like yourself who know more about it. Well, and I need to know why Robin has Crumb Crook's eye in her pocket. I <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's the stuff you don't want to know. Those are just those are questions that are best left unanswered. Right. Well, <laughs> the spectacular coincidence that Crumb Crook sounds an awful lot like Cromwell. But, right. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, that is just a pure because there was the curse of Crumb. And was no. it there's a curse of Cromwell and a curse of Crom and, and you know Crom Crom Crook and Crom Dove were two different gods, but I think they got mixed up into Crom in Arnold Schwarzenegger's famous Conan the Barbarian Crom. Right. <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you. You've given us a full hour now. Thank you so much. Thank Again, you guys. I'm uh, such a delight to meet you, Nora and uh, Tom. I guess we're. You and I will be talking again in July, I think, for for the Glenn Workshop, for that film seminar that oh, Gareth sweet. has taught. Oh, uh, amazing. So, okay, great. All right. So talk to you then. Well, thank you again. Um, uh, blessings on the work that you are doing now. We cannot wait to see it. Um, thank you again for giving us such a rich library of images and stories. Uh, thank you for leading us outside of our our walled experiences in the world. Um, that's that's salvation as far as I'm concerned. So yes. Uh, all right. Know. Thank you. And I'm gonna See you. All right. Thanks very much. Bye. Great time. See you. I will go. Thanks a lot.
You've been listening to a Master Shot episode of Looking Closer with Jeffrey Overstreet. You can find more than two decades worth of writing on the arts, especially movies, at lookingcloser.org. You can follow me at facebook.com slash lookingcloser, and I'm on Twitter as Overstreet. Both the writing at lookingcloser.org and these recordings are made possible by those readers and listeners generous enough to respond with donations. And I love sharing exclusives with them in our private Facebook group. To learn how you can support Looking Closer and join that group, email overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. That's overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. You can also dig deeper by picking up a copy of my memoir of dangerous moviegoing, a book called Through a Screen Darkly. Or explore my adventures in storytelling by reading the novel Aurelia's Colors and its three sequels. Original music for this episode comes from my lifelong friend Todd Fadel, who makes up half of the band Agents of Future. You can find them at agentsoffuture.bandcamp.com. Again, if you have any questions about what you've heard, email overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jeffrey Overstreet, reminding you to look closer, but let's talk about it.